0: Toronto City Councilor Brad Bradford is described as the key to building more housing in Toronto, affordable housing. And he makes some great points about where this needs to happen and the expedited process by which we need it to happen in the city of Toronto. That, speed cameras, and a few other issues with Toronto City Councilor Brad Bradford next on Toronto Today. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming back. Always good to be here with you Greg. Um you you got an interesting uh title. You're being described as the city's housing champion on Toronto City Council. Um no medals or trophies yet, but the the, the task is pretty ambitious. Tell us why you're getting called that and and what you have to do in the next 4 years.
1: Well, yeah, I think we're fresh out of hero medals, but uh <laughs> yeah, it's it's the chair of the Planning and Housing Committee and when you think about all of the big issues facing Torontonians and and really Folks across the entire GTA right now, housing and affordability is right at the top of the list. My background is in urban planning. So mm-hmm. I used to do that type of work before I kind of entered the municipal political arena. And uh, you know, I'm I'm a mid 30s guy and I talk to lots of friends and young families, and they want to live in this city, they want to grow here, they want to work here. And yet the biggest impediment and challenge to being able to do that right now is the lack of affordable housing supply. So as a city, as a local government, we have to make some big moves over the next term to address housing, housing supply, housing affordability head on. And the reality is it's going to look a lot different than how we've been doing it in the past because what we've been doing to date just hasn't worked. And
0: some of that is obviously, you know, the short term perspective and and we'll all weigh these accomplishments um, and, and maybe what didn't get accomplished in the next four years. We're hoping for more building than less building. And at the same time, this isn't just about the here and now. This is about you're raising a young family. I'm raising kids. And I think most people across the GTA and I'm sure where you live say, It's gutting right now to think that my kids can't live where I live. It's just going to be or we'll have to sell our house to allow them to even buy any house in the GTA. These are things we got to reverse and reverse quickly.
1: Well, and it's a generational issue and you hit the nail on the head there. You know, I I think about our daughter and, you know, where she would live if she wanted to live in Toronto and how she would be able to do that. And, you know, would we actually be in a position financially to help her support? To help support her do that, and the answer is no. And I also talked to lots of seniors who have, you know, maybe lived in the beaches or East York uh, their entire lives. They want to downsize, and yet there's nowhere for them to go. So everybody's getting squeezed kind of across generations. Uh, We don't have enough of the right type of supply. We don't have enough options in all the different neighborhoods here in Toronto. And Mm -hmm. as local government, I can tell you doing this job for the past four years and now embarking on the second term, we have to have some humility. We have to own some of that. Local governments and local councils have been part of the problem. But we need a whole-of-government solution. We have to work with the feds, the province, and the city in a really coordinated way to deliver the type of housing across the city so that people have options.
0: Toronto City Councilor Brad Bradford joins us on Toronto Today. What's your feel for the early chemistry of this new group? You look and obviously seven or eight very familiar faces, not just to you in your first term, but to all of us who follow um, the spectrum, the Kristen Wong Tams, the Joe Cressys. Um, they're gone. You've got a lot of new faces. What's your early feel for how people can work through difference and get stuff done?
1: I think we're all motivated to, to get things done. And certainly when it comes to the housing agenda, that's that's top of mind for everyone. And, and again, I'm really grateful to be in a position to help lead on that. Uh, I'm impressed with the new crop of folks joining council. They're all very smart. They're all plugged in. Um, we're going to f- you know, find our cadence and rhythm at City Hall for sure. Um, I used to work at City Hall, as I mentioned, and mm-hmm. I, I used to say, uh, you know, I, I'm going to know how to get things done in there. And And what I found was I really just knew where the washrooms were, because there's a big difference between being on the policy and civil service side from being on the political side. So I think that uh, there's a tone for collaboration there, but it will take some time. Everybody's got to kind of feel it out. And, uh, you know, we've been having lunches and coffees and phone calls and text messages. Uh, I'm there to help them uh, find their feet. But, you know, many of them don't need help. <laughs> they're smart, they're competent, they're ambitious. And I think when we focus on our shared values, when we focus on the things that need to get done, there's always going to be a pathway forward uh, for us to deliver for our communities and for Toronto.
0: People also describe you as a key ally of the mayor, John Tory. Does that come with its own set of struggles where you got to push back and say, I'm my own person and I have my own concepts and beliefs and they won't always align with the mayors?
1: Yeah, they, they don't like everybody in, uh, you know, everybody in the workplace or in society. We don't always agree on everything, but at the same time, we do agree on a lot. And I think you've seen leadership from the mayor over the past, uh, you know, eight years, the four years I've been there anyways, where it's been a very steady hand uh, 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 responding some to some tremendous challenges. Um, obviously, housing is top of mind for both. Him and I and all of us, and uh, you know, he's a consensus builder. So I'm happy to work with anyone and everyone, all of my city council colleagues. I think the mayor's shown tremendous leadership on a on a number of really tough files he's going to need to continue to do that. I'm happy he's back. Um but when we have points of disagreement, you know, it's not about standing up on the council floor and and lighting somebody up. That's actually never been an effective way in my mm-hmm. view to move the needle on these contentious conversations. It's about picking up the phone or having a meeting, talking about, you know, where we may differ on 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 viewpoints and finding a way to forge consensus. It's interesting because a lot of the work actually happens at the committee level. A lot of the work happens in those conversations. There's a few colleagues who like to stand up and beat their chest about things uh, on the floor of council and, you know, they get great headlines out of it. But you have to ask yourself, do they actually affect change? Do they actually deliver for their communities? and i've always found again the mm. the best way to get things done is by working together so that's that's my approach to the job and i would i would include that approach whether i'm talking about my colleagues in the chamber or the provincial government or the federal government You don't win arguments by telling people how stupid they are. Uh, You know, we get more done when we work work together. and, And that's that's been my approach.
0: Was there some hesitancy on the effectiveness and how it was going to be perceived by the public when you find out the mayor went to Doug Ford and said, I need these new powers to get things done? I need these new powers to build housing. And I know he said it's only it only will be housing. But I also understand people saying this doesn't happen in too many other places. There's nothing I can compare this to uh, in the federal or the provincial level, Brad, that, that is comparable. What did you think when when you found out this happened?
1: Well, you know, I was at first surprised, like a lot of folks, um, but we talked a lot about strong mayor powers during the election. Now I recognize it was different and everybody was, was focused on the veto. Uh, I I always thought the veto was less important because you try and imagine a scenario where there is two thirds of council coming together to veto something. You know, you don't see that very often. In fact, it never happened the last term, Mm -hmm. and so that always sort of raised the question. All right, here is the uh, you know the cancellation or the vetoing of of a policy or a bylaw. Where is the opportunity to deliver something in the positive? or the affirmation. So yeah. I don't know what those conversations were like, of course, between you know the mayor's team and, and Queen's Park, but I always think when, when the legislation actually came out, it was missing that proactive or mm. affirmation piece. So let me give you an example. We always talk about it in the context of housing and the mayor put some guardrails or boxes around where it would be used. There are colleagues out there that are not supportive of multi-tenant housing or rooming houses. Imagine somebody moved a motion to say no rooming houses in the city of Toronto and there are people that have that view yeah the mayor could veto that but where would be the ability to proactively pass the opposite of that which is you know bring rooming houses across the city because we know that's going to be such a key piece mm. of affordability in the city going forward so i would i would imagine it was sort of looking at the bill as it was drafted recognizing it was done in a vacuum and not within with the consultation of City Hall, as is often the case, right, and then going back and trying to fix it afterwards. And I, I don't think it's been a smooth process. We can talk about Bill twenty three as well and the challenges around yeah, that.
0: Yeah, Brad Bradford's kind enough to spend a little more time with us. I'm so glad you brought up Bill twenty three because I would push to people who think, oh, the mayor and you know he's in Doug Ford's pocket. The, the comments I read yesterday from John Tory, that's a ticked off mayor about the province potentially, potentially with Bill twenty three reducing Toronto's ability to build, forcing a raise in property taxes, which was probably coming anyway, and kind of preventing the growth as you note that's necessary to to put people
1: in the proper homes that the bill was set up for in the first place, Brad. Yeah, this bill is really problematic for Toronto. Uh, It's also problematic for municipalities across the province. And in fact, you are hearing a strong chorus of opposition from municipal leaders, Uh, Across political ideologies, everybody's Mm -hmm. standing up and saying, this is a bad piece of legislation that will effectively kneecap municipalities on a go forward basis. This is a a downloading uh, of, of additional services without a means to pay for it. Um, in municipalities, uh, in in you know a way that we saw in the 1990s. So in the Toronto context, we are dealing with a 200 million dollar annual budget hit. Um, you know, on at a time when it's been extremely financially challenging. This bill and legislation indicates that it's about building more housing. Uh, I'm trying to do that tough work, that tough sledding of making the case for intensification, making the case for growing up here in the city. And, uh, you know, that proposition is really undermined when, uh, you know, we're opening up the green belt and and perpetuating the type of sprawl that's been so damaging uh, for many decades here. So, yeah, just the idea
0: of you've got a budget shortfall anyway, but the idea that it becomes more massive just makes it impossible and you can say well we can build but then we can't put infrastructure around them Brad we can't put rec centers we can't put transit we can't pave roads we can't we can't come out and give you the proper services that that your tax bill would would in essence pay for and entitle you to if this bill goes through so we can put we can put the housing up but we can't put much around it it's not going to be um, as idyllic as it, as it would seem
1: Well, and I I want to be clear. I think that there is a reasonable conversation to have around the development charge regime. And just for the listeners, the DCs are are sort of the fees that are associated with with new development the idea that growth pays for growth but inevitably you know there's there's a lot of folks that already live in the community that are going to benefit from those libraries or community centers or enhanced parks so we do have to have a, uh, a nuanced conversation about how we pay for those services and i would suggest putting it on the backs of everybody who's buying a new home is not the way to do it but at the same time this is another uh example of of legislation drafted up the street at Queens Park absent the sort of consultation with the municipalities who are actually going to have to deliver on it and what we're left with is a massive funding gap for the services municipalities are required to provide and our ability to pay for it so I think we can work with the province we always we always try to but we need to be at the table, you know the mayor I know is going back and forth and and pushing very forcefully on this and that's because so much is at stake for our city and so we mm-hmm. need to make some progress on those conversa- conversations whether it's uh you know putting some of the things back into the um the services back into the development charge regime whether it's new funding tools revenue opportunities there's actually a lot of things that we could do to pay for these mm-hmm. things and in fact i would point to the provinces own uh task force yeah. on affordability that they that they published in february of this year which had a lot of good ideas unfortunately this legislation doesn't actually lead on the on the best and boldest ideas it takes a much more timid approach but one of the pieces in there was for for them to move forward with a uh you know a municipal housing delivery fund so you know they're they are contemplating that and there is a recognition that we do need to pay for the infrastructure to support the growth but what we see in the legislation right now is just a kneecapping of municipalities and and not the ability to do that so there's work to do on this and uh, as it stands right now today it's it's not something that any of us should be supporting
0: brad bradford toronto city council our guests two more questions we want to get in and we we got about four minutes but i want to ask you about the green belt i'm finding I do think there's some people criticizing moving into the green belt that are trying to have it both ways. They live in the city and they say, I don't want this in my neighborhood, not in my backyard. But they also say, you know, don't don't build out where where it's further away from me. Can we find a balance? Can we find a give and take? Because anybody that's out in Ajax or anybody that's out in Milton knows at one point there was nothing out there 20 years ago. Like progress is progress. We can't build more houses and preserve everything. But is there a balance?
1: Well, you know, I'm just very much in the intensification camp. And I think that, you know, again, the province's own task force was very clear that we need to have the intensification of our neighborhoods. We need to grow within the existing urban boundaries. Uh, And now we have this legislation coming forward that, you know, reduces municipal power to do that and makes it easier and more financially compelling to, uh, to sprawl. And we Mm. all know the bad stuff that comes with that. Uh, You and I get very frustrated and many of your listeners with the congestion and the traffic that we see on our highways across the GTA, this, this ensures that, you know, we're going to continue to see that for decades to come. It's very expensive to build the new roads and the Mm -hmm. infrastructure to support sprawl. And, uh, and again, there's not a financial pathway to do that. And uh, obviously, all of the environmental implications that come with this. So, you know, on the other hand, it's, it's some of the loudest NIMBY voices, uh, you know, that that stand up and say, uh, you know, we, we don't want to see Urban sprawl—we don't want to see paving over a farmland. Uh, but then they show up in the bottom of the church basement to uh, vehemently oppose a mid-rise development on top of a <laughs> transit line, and uh, and and the irony of that is not lost on me. But that's why I I do acknowledge with humility that municipal mm. council—you know—we need to stop bending the knee to every you know residents association that gets upset about the growth. Yes. We need to show leadership, and we need to make the case for growing within the city and making sure that we have more housing for more people that is the way forward it's not about sprawling over farmland it's about building within our existing urban boundary
0: brad it's uh, jason chapman here i'm in today with the show last question for you here and we got to be quick we got about a minute here the cbc has a great story out this morning about all of these automated speed cameras around town all right so we know that they're working because they're the city's bringing in 34 million dollars from these things my question to you is a simple one pal do we need to buy more than the 50 the city already has? Should these things be everywhere in the city as a way to
1: actually slow traffic down? What do you think? I think we want to expand the program. I know nobody likes getting a ticket in the mail, but at the same time, the data that comes back shows us they have a dramatic performance improvement on reducing speeding. Once one of those things goes up, you just see the the speeds that are traveled absolutely plummet. And you know, we are a growing city, 3 million people here, lots of kids, lots of seniors, and the speeding traffic, particularly through our school zones, particularly through our neighborhoods, that has to stop, we have far too many fatalities. And we know that speed kills. So again, I know nobody wants to get a ticket. But at the same time, we have to keep our streets safe for people. And automatic speed enforcement has proven to be a very effective tool at managing those speeds.
0: Five awesome. seconds too long, but that was great, Brad. No, it oh, that was it. Great. <laughs> <laughs> That was great. <laughs> My that previous was great. question was 11 seconds too long. Brad, thanks for the visit today. We appreciate the time. Hey,
1: thank you very much, Greg. We'll see you soon.
0: Yeah, that was Brad Bradford, Toronto City Council, joining us on Toronto Today.